621. Mark Tui is here. He's in for Jerry Agar on the Jerry Agar show today from 9 to noon. But you also used to be the uh, one of the top bananas at the Toronto Sun. And I, uh, you wished for it and it happens. I said I wanted to get my hands on a, a print copy of this morning's Sun because I had been uh, sent a digital version by Joe Warmington. And here it is. And the headline, uh, Sun columnists speak out. Crime ravaged city cries out for help. Mayor Tory, do something. Um, it's a fairly desperate cover which I'm told from some sources kind of was inspired by conversations we were having on News Talk 1010 yesterday. Yeah, it might very well be. I mean, what happens at uh, most newspapers, including the Toronto Sun, and though I didn't edit the Toronto Sun, I was the editor of Sun newspapers, I would sit in often on their daily uh, editorial meeting and have some input to that. So, you know, all of the different columnists would have pitched different ideas. The editors might then redirect them. But in this case, I suspect a lot of people might very well have been listening to more in the morning yesterday, come up with that idea for themselves. And then, you know, Kevin Han or Adrian Batcher perhaps said, why, don't, why doesn't everybody write on this? Because newspapers, rightly or wrongly, and you can take different sides of this uh, argument, but all newspapers believe that they have a utilitarian role in society. You know, the star has its very, you know, eloquently phrased Atkinson, Atkinson principles yes. in terms of how it sees its mission to shape the world around it. The star, unabashedly small c conservative, sees the same thing. This is a point. People are talking about it. Let's put it out there. We know uh, the mayor, the councillors are going to read this. We know that they listen to your show and other shows on this station. They read the other newspapers. The media has a role to play in shaping the public debate. Sometimes it needs to be shaped, and obviously the Sun thinks this is a conversation that people should be having today. Okay, and I know you haven't had a chance to open anywhere no. beyond the cover, but do you think this is fair? I mean, you know, it's this picture of John Tory looking... I don't know what he's looking like. Yeah, it was his Mayor Tory do something yeah. about uh, violence and the fear in the city. Uh, as you pointed out, uh, Ed Keenan had wrote, written about that uh, yesterday in The Star. Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, the mayor is not responsible for everything, but the mayor is the focal point of municipal life. And he sets the tone. I use the example, uh, you know, the mayor, even without strong mayor powers, which wouldn't help in this case, the mayor is like a magnifying glass. And even though the sun might have all the power, you can use the magnifying glass to focus the sun's power on a piece of paper and start a fire. The magnifying glass itself doesn't start the fire. It's the sun. But the magnifying glass, the mayor can focus public attention, focus political capital, get the civil service directed in a way. And so ultimately, it, you know, the buck stops there. I watched uh, Vladimir Zelensky's speech last night instead of watching the new, you know, the first of season three for Emily in Paris. I thought this could be history and it felt like history. Here's just a bit of it. It's a great honor for me to be at the U.S. Congress and speak to you and all Americans. Against all odds and doom and gloom scenarios, Ukraine didn't fall. Ukraine is alive and kicking. And it gives me good reason to share with you our first, first joint victory. We defeated Russia in the battle for minds of the world. There were several For, purposes. First, John, I think yeah. we have to go back and unpack 
that you have been waiting for the season three premiere of a show called <laughs> Emily in Paris. Actually, no, it's, I kind of hate watch it, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Uh, but, but listen, let's get to uh, Vladimir Zelensky. And the purpose of the speech was basically, please keep giving us money. And I think he hit some of the right notes. And in particular, um, comparing this to World War II, which is, you know, Hitler taking over territory that is not his and killing people indiscriminately. And you got to push back. And I won't understand and I actually think it's a fairly small portion of American conservatives. But I don't imagine, I don't understand why they don't think this is worth fighting for. We've been trying to defeat Russia since 1946. Yeah, Russia at some point stopped being the great communist bear and started being an icon for some Trump Republicans. And I don't fully understand how that happened. I think they like dictators. uh, I think they like authority and power and and the the black and white nature of of Putin. They don't like the gray areas, which is where most of us actually live. Uh, Look, I think Zelensky did something incredibly dangerous, leaving his country where he's surrounded by his own bubble that he controls. Traveling across the Atlantic is not I mean, he's exposed Escorted to Escorted by fighter planes. Absolutely. I mean, Vladimir Putin is somebody who routinely assassinates people all over the world that he takes issue with. And he takes issue with uh, Zelensky. So he's at great peril. But like Winston Churchill, who did this same trip four or five times around the world to meet with Roosevelt and Stalin a couple of times, uh, he felt that it was the, the risk was worth the reward of keeping the Americans in the game. And for Ukraine, they will not survive this invasion in the long run if they cannot continue to get money and material and weapons and ammunition from the United States. And so it is an existential question. He had to keep them on side. There is a small sliver of the Republican Party, but it's a very divided Congress where it's one or two votes that's going to make the difference between whether they send him more stuff. So I think it was the right play. Meanwhile, I was very curious when we first started talking about this this morning, what you'd have to say about it. It's a children's activity book to educate them about medically assisted death. And I think it's important we position this. It's not how you can have medically assisted death. It's to teach kids in families where something like this is going to happen about it. And I think that's a worthy endeavor. But I also think just, you know, going through a book with a kid and the three formulas for the the chemicals you use to kill somebody, I think that's a burden. Yeah, I think uh, I understand the intent of this, and I think it's a good intent, but I think it is written by somebody and intended for people who come from my generation and are my type of person, where if I need to know something, if I'm going to teach a new class, the first thing I do is look for a book on the subject. And that helps me sort of ground my thinking and, and, and learn. I don't immediately go to YouTube or start trolling videos. But that's what kids do these days. And so I think the real audience for this book is probably the caregivers of children who are living through an experience where somebody in the family has selected made. And how do you have that conversation with them? I thought it was well positioned. I thought the information that I saw in it was good. I think it's stuff that needs to be available to have those conversations, to answer those questions of children that that might have them. I doubt that a lot of kids are going to read this book themselves and work through it, you know, on their own, because I just don't know that that's what kids do anymore. I don't know. Maybe I grew up with in a very stoic and reserved generation, and in particular uh, house, household. 
Um, this, you know, we just didn't talk about death. Uh, I came home one day when I was a kid and my mom said, your grandmother died. And I never, nobody ever told me what happened. Nobody ever told me she was sick. Yeah. And I think that's where most, well, no, I think half of Canadian society is still in that world. But the other half, I think, recognizes that none of us get out of this alive. <laughs> and so the only question is how and when. And that's what the whole debate about MAID is, is about the ability to control your own exit and to make your own choices. And when those questions are happening in a family that's chosen MAID, somebody needs to have answers and kids are going to have questions. Thank you very much. Thank mm -hmm. you.